if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. And a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us as we get you rolling at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a free for all Friday, kind of. I'll explain in a moment the 31st and final morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord 2020. Good news. It is the last day of another month. It puts us another month closer to ending the disastrous year that has been 2020 in about a billion different ways. The disaster that would be. Coming up on the program today, we've got a very good one for you. In about a half an hour, Dr. Ben Carson, who happens to be Secretary of uh, Housing and Urban Development in President Trump's cabinet, is going to celebrate a one-year anniversary of a very important initiative that he's responsible for. Uh, that is called the uh, FYI. It is the... <clears throat> excuse me... <clears throat> I'm battling, I'm battling very hard to keep the uh, the, the voice from being uh, raspy. Uh, but this is uh, a very important initiative uh, by Dr. Ben Carson, um, helping youth, youths. It's uh, fostering youths to independence is what FYI stand for, and it's a very important program that has taken young people under the age of 25 <clears throat> who are in danger of homelessness and making sure that they did have fair and appropriate and available housing. It's an important thing. Now, that's the main reason we're going to talk to Dr. Carson, but we're also going to talk to him about his friend. Uh, and uh, Herman Cain's passing yesterday hit a lot of people very hard, but especially people who are very close to him. Dr. Carson is one of them, so we're going to get his thoughts on the passing of Herman Cain, and I will offer some thoughts about that as well. And in addition to the passing of Herman Cain, we will talk about the extraordinarily incomprehensible celebratory and mocking tone that the American left has taken over the passing of Herman Cain. Let me say that again. Celebratory and mocking Herman Cain on the day of his death's death. I've said for a very long time that Twitter is a toxic cesspool of hatred that online social media platforms that I am ashamed to have uh, accounts on are extraordinarily um, toxic and dangerous. And yesterday was just an example of it. They celebrated Herman Cain because Herman Cain was diagnosed with COVID not terribly long after he went to the Donald Trump rally in Tulsa. And they are then blaming Donald Trump, blaming Herman Cain for not wearing a mask, blaming him for being in a crowd of people uh, very close to one another. 
and uh, saying essentially that he deserved it. Uh, it is beyond my ability to comprehend, quite frankly. But we're going to talk to Dr. Ben Carson about that and a lot more coming up, including race in America. You know, Dr. Carson, of course, uh, it, he could be featured in the movie Uncle Tom by Larry Elder because he's a black conservative and he takes a lot of heat for his conservatism as a black man because of the belief by so many on the left that African Americans must by default. Joe Biden believes this. Remember, if you don't vote Biden, you ain't black. So you know the story. So we'll talk to Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, at 1010, Jack Windsor asked a bombshell of a question yesterday. <clears throat> Again, excuse the voice. Um, Jack Windsor asked a bombshell of a question yesterday of Governor Mike DeWine. He got the first question at the press briefing. He laid it out for Mike DeWine that epidemiologists, including some of the most celebrated and respected epidemiologists at some of the most respected medical centers in the world, including Johns Hopkins and Harvard, um, say that the lockdown, mask-up, contact tracing method of dealing with a pandemic doesn't work. What are you going to do in response to that? And you can imagine what Mike DeWine said. Mike DeWine said, uh, too bad, we're going to continue to, to do the same things. And by the way, no drinking after 10 p.m. Wait, what? Yeah, that happened. So we'll talk to Jack Windsor about that at 1010. And then at 1035, you're going to want to be uh, here for Breitbart Senior Technology Correspondent, uh, who's going to be joining us to talk about um, what happened at the pre- or the uh committee hearing on Wednesday in which House Judiciary members grilled as much as they could anyway big tech giants for their censorship of conservatives and their censorship of voices that do not advance the liberal narrative. It happens over and over and over again. Jim Jordan cut to the chase and said, big tech is out to get conservatives. He's right. They pointed to countless examples. Well, one of the best examples is Breitbart being silenced by Google and by the other tech giants. And correspondent, uh, senior technology correspondent Alan Bakari of Breitbart will be joining us at 1035 to talk about can conservatives get a fair shake on social media? And if not, what can be done about it? And the answer is probably nothing. But we're going to highlight the problem coming up. So Carson, Windsor, and Bokhari are the guests today. And I want you to be here as well. 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Or 888-281-1110. I want to hit you in the opening segment with a little bit of audio. Uh, did you hear, did you listen to Barack Hussein Obama at all yesterday? He was at he was at the funeral supposedly uh, at the funeral of um, the late Congressman John Lewis. Uh, rest in peace. He was supposed to eulogize John Lewis. He was supposed to uh, talk about the life and the legacy and the impact of his friend and one of his mentors, John Lewis. And Barack Obama, instead of delivering a eulogy, delivered a campaign speech, delivered an anti-cop which his entire eight years of his presidency was uh, was wrapped around, an anti-Trump, an anti-American, fiery political speech. And by the way, before I give you that clip, if you watched the funeral, you probably noticed that there were a couple more than the 10-person funeral limit that has been placed on the rest of America. They had hundreds of people shoulder to shoulder in the funeral for John Lewis. 
They couldn't limit it to just 10 John Lewis family members. No, 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 no. Because some people are more important than others, and some deaths are more important than others, and the grieving process is more important for some people than it is for others. So if you've got a large family and somebody passes, or even if you're, you're the person in your family who passes has a lot of friends and coworkers who want to come and pay their respects, too bad. Stay home. You might catch coronavirus. But the funeral of John Lewis? Bring them in. Sardine them. Shoulders to shoulders, fronts to backs. Get them in there and let's show how, how, how revered John Lewis was. And John Lewis was revered by people who uh, you know, are on his side of the political, ideolo- uh, political scale ideologically. And, of course, by those who respect what he did and fight it for civil rights, which is extraordinarily important. It's hard. It was hard for people to fight for civil rights against all of those Democrats who opposed them. And John Lewis was one of them. He fought, and he took a beating. And we all know John Lewis's story. But if you can put 500 people into a funeral for John Lewis, you ought to be able to put a few more than 10 for a regular American. At least that's my view. Now here's the eulogy from former President the most divisive, and to me, the most repugnant president in American history, the most anti-American president in American history, the most corrupt president in American history. But today, we witness with our own eyes police officers kneeling on the necks of black Americans. I, I can't even let it go any further without commenting. Police officers, plural, with their knees on the necks of black Americans, plural? I saw that happen one time. I also saw that happen identically to a white man in Dallas, Texas, five years ago while you were still president. Did you say a word about the knee on Tony Timpa for 14 minutes that caused his lungs to essentially fold? Not a word. Not a word. Keep going, Mr. Divisive. George Wallace may be gone, but we can witness our federal government sending agents to use tear gas and batons against peaceful demonstrators. They applauded that easily provable lie from Barack Obama as he continued his I hate Americans, and I hate white Americans, and I want to foster division between black and white Americans, and I'm going to continue to do in my retirement what I did in my years in office. He stood there and lied, and and, at a funeral he's supposed to be delivering a eulogy for. Calling the rioters who are destroying buildings, setting fires, smashing windows, shooting fireworks at cops, throwing rocks and bottles at cops, injuring them by the dozens, calling them peaceful protesters, and suggesting that federal agents, he had to use the word federal, under the orders of Donald Trump, were attacking these peaceful protesters. Barack Obama is no less a scumbag today than he was when he was in office. Maybe a little bit worse, considering he's using a funeral to deliver these lies. But even as we sit here, there are those in power who are doing their darndest 
to discourage people from voting by closing polling locations and targeting minorities and students with restrictive ID laws and attacking our voting rights with surgical precision, even undermining the Postal Service in the run-up to an election that's going to be dependent on mail-in ballots so people don't get sick. You mean people like the hundreds of people you're screaming at as they give you a standing uh, standing ovation? Are they, are, are they worried about getting sick while they gather to listen to you grandstand with your lies and your racism? Barry? Are they not going to get sick there, but they'll only get sick in line at the ballot box? They'll only get sick when they go to vote for president. So we have to have mail-in voting. Right, Barry? Is that how that works? They don't get sick when they're in line at Walmart, but they'll get sick when they're in line at the ballot box. They don't get sick when they're out in, in, in protests that are supposedly righteous and therefore approved, but they get sick when they get in line to vote. And of course, he had to throw in the ongoing Democrat lie that voter ID laws are somehow targeting minorities. Once again, Barack Obama, racist that he is, is accusing white people of racism for demanding that only citizens be allowed to vote and that only citizens be allowed to vote once. Hence the need for restrictive ID laws. And once again, he insults minorities, like himself, by saying that minorities aren't capable of getting IDs. They are restricted from getting IDs. He said the words restrictive ID laws that target minorities and students. You need an identification to do virtually anything and everything engaging in public commerce. And apparently these people, minorities, don't have them. I wonder how they're getting along in their lives. How do they have bank accounts? How do they cash checks? How do they open up accounts? I mean, we can go through it over and over and over again. How can you fly? You can't do anything without an ID, but when it comes time to vote, Minorities are incapable of getting IDs, and therefore, ID laws are racist. I thought we got rid of this guy after eight years. I thought we got rid of his anti-cop lies. I thought we got rid of his anti-American lies. I thought we got rid of his racist lies. But instead, we still have to endure Barack Hussein Obama. You know who did not suffer him well yesterday? Tucker Carlson didn't. He had a pretty interesting response to Barry Obama's eulogy for John Lewis. I'm going to share some of that with you when we come right back to on AM 1420 The Answer. All right, 926 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. I just gave you a taste of what Barack Obama did yesterday and what was supposed to be a eulogy for uh, former Congressman John Lewis, the late Congressman John Lewis. And um, 
Yeah, it was anything but uh, a eulogy. It was a political speech, and it was more division and more hatred, quite frankly. Uh, Tucker Carlson did not like it either. Barack Obama showed up at Congressman John Lewis's funeral today. Obama claimed he was there to eulogize his own friend, but that's not true, and that's not what he did. Instead, Obama gave a divisive and deeply dishonest campaign speech in church. Here's part of what he said. By ending some of the partisan gerrymandering so that all voters have the power to choose their politicians, not the other way around. And if all this takes eliminating the filibuster, another Jim Crow relic, in order to secure the God-given rights of every American, then that's what we should do. It's hard to believe that clip is real, but it is, down to the cloying fake accent, Mr. Hawaii guy. But take three steps back. Imagine if some greasy politician showed up at your loved one's funeral and started throwing around stupid partisan talking points about Senate procedure. Can you imagine that? You would be shocked if that happened. You'd probably walk out desecrating a funeral with campaign slogans. What kind of person would do that? But Democrats in the audience didn't seem offended. They didn't blink. They cheered. It all seemed normal to them. And why wouldn't it? Political power is their religion. It's not out of place in a church. It's what they worship. Tucker is 100% correct. And Barack Obama is, of course, once again, the darling of the American left. Barack Obama is the hero. Barack Obama they are going to hope to use to push Joe Biden over the top. Uh, and it is totally expected. The question is, is will Barack Obama's record be an issue in the, ne- in the next 96 days until the election? And here's what I mean by that. According to Attorney General Bill Barr, uh, and we heard him, and as much as we could earlier this week on Tuesday when he was giving his testimony, um, or supposed to be giving his testimony before the House Judiciary Committee, Bill Barr did indeed um, indicate, if not outright state, that the John Durham investigation that is coming uh, is indeed going to be very, very dangerous for Obama and former Obama administration officials, including John Brennan, who now finally has been uh, has had his access to top secret information revoked. John Brennan can no longer access information, which gives a lot of people hope because he was the uh, national security uh, or uh, yeah, director of national security for for uh, Barack Obama. John Brennan not being able to access classified information anymore might indicate that he is perhaps about to be indicted. You cannot allow a criminal or a felon or an accused felon to be able to access that kind of information. So it'll be very interesting to see how much more we hear from Barack Obama on behalf of his former vice president, Joe Biden, if the Obama-Biden-Clapper-Comey-Struck uh, Lynch, Holder, if the entire cabal uh, ends up crashing. We have been waiting for Durham now for, what, eight, nine months to finish his investigation and tell us what happened? And for heads to roll, we were told it would happen by summer. Well, summer is in the latter stages now. Perhaps we get it just in time for fall. And if we get it just in time for fall... It could be the mother of all October surprises. Just try to think about that. Barack Obama can stand or can get his standing ovations now at the funeral of John Lewis and make all of the ridiculous divisive speeches he wants. 
Joe Biden can do the very same from the comfort of his basement and his little laptop with his little camera on it. But if John Durham releases everything that needs to be released in October or even in September, <laughs> uh, the mind just wanders. We've got news now on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Ben Carson, Secretary of Housing and Urban Deve- Development, will be joining us next. Bob France, here on AM 1420. All right, 935, we continue on this free-for-all Friday edition of AM of the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks so much uh, for being with us. We'll come back to uh, the Barack Obama story in just a bit, but right now I want to talk about the Ben Carson story. Dr. Ben Carson, renowned neurosurgeon, former candidate for president of the United States, and now the highly successful secretary of housing and urban de- development in the Donald Tr- uh, J. Trump administration, joining us to celebrate a very important milestone. Dr. Carson, it's great to have you back on the air here in Cleveland, Ohio. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Delighted to be with you again. Certainly good to talk to you. By the way, do you prefer Dr. Carson or do you want to be called Mr. Secretary now? Hey, it doesn't matter. Just don't call me Dan. Dr. Carson, listen, before uh, we talk about um, the FYI initiative and the the one-year anniversary uh, of fostering youths to independence, um, I know you were close with Herman Cain, uh, also a former presidential candidate and a highly successful man, just an inspiration to so many for the life that he lived and the way that he shared himself with so many. Um, I, I thought I'd give you a chance just to kind of talk about him and his legacy uh, in the uh, yeah. tragic tragic passing yesterday. Well, obviously, we were we were all devastated by, by the news. And uh, even though he was 74, he was a very vibrant 74. The thing about uh, Herman is, he, he was always jovial. Uh, even when people were coming after him with all kinds of spears, you know, he, he would make light of it and, and keep moving on. And, you know, he came from a, a, a poor background, worked extremely hard, uh, had many important positions, including the CEO uh, of a pizza uh, company. Mm-hmm. And um, he also, a lot of people don't know this, Beautiful voice was uh, quite a singer. Yeah, uh, Herman Cain uh, had a lot of talents, and he touched a lot of people. And of course, he was very active with his faith uh, as a minister. He just uh, uh, just uh, just left a you know a great mark on so many people, and that's why it was so tragic and sad to have his passing happen as quickly and abruptly as it did. He was just featured in uh, Larry Elder's uh, movie, you know, Uncle Tom, talking about black conservatives in America and uh, you know the difficult time they have being conservative and being black and being expected to be stuck on the uh, proverbial Democrat plantation. And uh, he to, to the very end, he fought and argued for what he believed in. Some of the same things that you fight and, and uh, fight for every single day. You, you, you take some of the same attacks and shots that Herman Cain and Larry Elder and others take, don't you, Dr. Carson? Well, it, it's a tough position because of racism. Uh, the, the racist are the people who look at the color of your skin and decide how you're supposed to think. And if you don't think that way, uh, then they start calling you names. Those are the real racists. Completely agree. Um, Dr. Ben Carson, again, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, let's talk about one of the most important initiatives that you put in play about a year ago. Uh, and it's an opportunity to help young people, 25 and under, who might be facing homelessness, find a way to, to have fair housing, affordable housing, and an ability to have any kind of housing whatsoever. Tell us more about the Foster Youth to Independence Initiative. Well, you know, the magnitude of the, of the problem is significant, about 20,000 
young people age out of foster care each year. And uh, they don't necessarily have any support system at that point. And uh, over the next four years, uh, approximately 25% of them become homeless, and an even larger percentage than that are inadequately housed. Uh, and a group of young people uh, from Ohio actually came to HUD uh, in the spring of last year and uh, very cogently presented their case. And we were so impressed. Our staff put together this program. In less than four months, we were giving out the first grants to these young people. And these grants uh, allow them to actually have a place to live, uh, have some security at a time you know, when their lives could go in any direction, and also provides a lot of the wraparound services that are needed, the support systems, so that they can continue their education. In many cases, they don't have a high school diploma. They can get their GED and uh, medical needs, all the things that are necessary in order to put a person on the right trajectory and allow them to become self-sufficient because when the program is over, and it can be up to three years, we want them to go out there and to be self-sufficient adults. Dr. Ben Carson is our guest talking about uh, assisting people, as you, as you heard, who age out of the foster care program and helping them in their young adulthood if they don't have a support system. It's very important work. Doctor, I, I would, you know, I'm going to go to the doctor card here. I asked you about secretary versus doctor. Let's do the medical part and ask your opinion on what's going on with coronavirus um, and the COVID-19 response. The team, and I know your, your specialty is neurosurgery, not epidemiology, but uh, the team in the White House uh, task force, Uh, Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci and others seem to be indicating that we are not going to be past this anytime soon. I don't think we can survive economically if we shut down again or if we even have the restrictions that are in place now, if those things aren't lifted anytime soon. It's a delicate balance. How do you you feel that it is being handled right now? Well, you know, we we learn new things about it. It's called the novo coronavirus because it's new. And, uh, you know, we've never had anything quite like it before. And uh, we keep discovering things about it that we didn't know before, and that's why the recommendations keep changing. But we are learning about it. That's the key thing. Uh, And we're learning how to control it and what kinds of things we each need to do. And and that's where the concentration needs to be. Uh, we, We know that, you know, wearing masks is useful. We know that hand-washing is useful. We know that social distancing is useful. Uh, We also know that we cannot destroy the economic infrastructure of this country or a lot more people will die from poverty than would ever die from the virus. So we have to be able to integrate those two things together. Some people who seem to be able to only concentrate on one thing or the other. But that's why we have these complex brains that God gave us, so that we can adjust in an appropriate way. And there are some uh, vaccines that are going to be coming out. There are several that are in phase three trials now or getting ready to go into phase three trials. So we will have something soon. And there are some therapeutics that are fantastic that are working their way uh, through FDA uh, that do things like inhibit the ability of the virus to produce a protective protein coat and destroy it extremely quickly. So, uh, you know, being able to, you know, safely get these things out, 
that will really help us to be able to open up the economy quickly. We need to really concentrate on that. No question about it. Uh, Dr. Carson, let me ask you to put the secretary hat back on now. And I want to ask you about Joe Biden's plan. Joe Biden, uh, about a week ago, announced that he essentially wants to revive um, Barack Obama's uh, uh, plan or the plan that he shared with Barack Obama called Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing. Uh, Social engineering, telling every suburb in America that they now have to, you know, these are suburbs with single-family homes and quiet streets and so on and so forth. They have to put high-density housing, low-cost housing, and in fact, subsidized housing in the middle of every suburb. Uh, they call that fair housing. A lot of people fear that all that's going to do is drive property values down because uh, of the uh, the condition of some of, those, some of those units. How do you feel about Joe Biden reviving that, uh, that scheme? Well, you know, it, it's the AFFH, or Affirmative Federal Fair Housing, was part of the Fair Housing Act of 1968. Uh, it was a sentence that was mentioned. Uh, the previous administration decided to take that sentence and to expand it into total government control of every municipality in the United States that receives, uh, you know, federal funding. And uh, that, obviously, is anti-federalism. You know, this country was founded on the fact that, you know, individual communities would have control over what was going on in there and that the uh, officials would be answerable to the voting populace. Uh, you know, this sort of changes that whole thing, and that's, that's why we withdrew that rule and made it much simpler, uh, easier to comply with, and, you know, a lot of people have now accused the president of, you know, trying to, you know, protect lily-white uh, suburbs from, from people of color. Uh, what a bunch of crap, because those people who are saying that obviously are not aware of the studies. Even the Brookings Institute, a very liberal institute, has said that, you know, 35% of the demographic population in the suburbs in the 100 biggest uh, metropolitan areas are minorities. And, uh, you know, San Francisco, Las Vegas, Washington, D.C., Houston, it's over 50% are minorities. So, you know, the facts get in the way of that ideological argument. And, uh, you know, what we really are talking about is are we going to have an America where the local citizens are able, in conjunction with their leaders, uh, to come up with good solutions for housing? Or are we going to have a place where the government dictates to everybody what they have to do? And by traveling all over the country, which I have, uh, I have found that uh, you know multiple uh, places around the country are doing an excellent job of figuring out how to provide housing so that policemen and teachers and nurses can live in the same neighborhoods where they work without destroying the character of a neighborhood and of a municipality. It can be done quite easily. And people use the hysterical argument to frighten people. 
Very well said. And uh, to answer your question, I think uh, we it's clear what uh, Joe Biden and his team will do. They want the federal government to make those decisions rather than have it happen organically locally. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson is in charge of all of this right now. He is the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Again, congratulations on one year on the FYI initiative. Dr. Carson, please keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. We love to, love to talk to Dr. Ben Carson. All right, it's uh, 946. If you don't know what uh, Dr. Carson and I were talking about, um, I'm going to share it on the other side of the break here. It was about a week ago, Joe Biden uh, essentially announced that he wants to ramp up this social engineering scheme called Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing. It's got a nice name, and it was part of the Fair Housing Act, which it was noble. Of course, no one should ever be denied an opportunity to rent or buy a home in an, or an apartment in a neighborhood of their choosing because of their skin color or their sexual orientation or their biological sex or any other reason. No one should be denied that. That's the essence of the Fair Housing Act. But that's not what this is. This is something very, very different. And if you don't know the details, I'll give them to you next right here on AM 1420 The Answer. The answer. Okay, nine fifty-two. I want to. Uh, I want to hit on two things that I was talking to Doctor Carson about. The first one he mentioned about the extraordinarily uh, dangerous ramifications to health of another lockdown or continued restrictions or kids not going back to school, which looks like more and more that's going to be the case in the state of Ohio. Uh, because of the pandemic. Yesterday, um, the Cuyahoga County Board of Health made their recommendation that all county schools stay closed. Only remote virtual learning may be done, which, of course, is no learning at all. We all witnessed that in the second semester of this past year, this past spring. Uh, so that also no extracurricular activities in sports teams. That's what the Ohio Department of Health recommended. This is going to be devastating. Not, I'm, I'm sorry. I want to apologize. That's what the Cuyahoga Department of Health recommended. The Summit County Department of Health did the same thing. So it might as well be the entire state. They might as well be the entire Ohio Department of Health. But for now, individual county departments of health are making these recommendations, and the ramifications are going to be devastating. How do I know? Well, the same people that are always telling us to listen to the CDC won't listen to the CDC when it comes to schools. Center for Disease Control Director Robert Redfield said that suicides and drug overdoses have surpassed the death rate for COVID-19 among high school students. Because we all know the number of high school students contracting or getting infected by the Chinese coronavirus is already very low and the fatality rate is lower. There were more people dying And Redfield argued that the lockdowns and the lack of public schooling have constituted a disproportionately negative impact on young people's mental health. He said, and I quote in a a speech to the um, Buck Institute during a webinar, he said there has been another cost that we have seen, particularly in high schools. We are seeing, sadly, far greater suicides now than we are deaths from COVID. We're seeing far greater deaths from drug overdoses that are above excess that we had as a background 
uh, than we are seeing deaths from COVID. So this is why I keep coming back for the overall social being of individuals. Let's all work together to find out how we can find common ground to get these schools open in a way that people are comfortable with. Earlier this month, the CDC said directly that it is essential essential to public health for schools to be reopened for in-person classes this fall. So I find it kind of amusing and kind of eh, amusing. That's probably the wrong word. I find it just you know unbelievable that the people who are constantly yelling, listen to the doctors, listen to the CDC, wear your mask, listen to the CDC, keep your gatherings to under 10 people, listen to the CDC. The same people who say that are ignoring the CDC, and I want schools closed. The OEA, the NEA, the teachers' unions are trying to hold, the AFT, they're trying to hold um, you know, children and their families and the economy hostage, demanding all kinds of social programs. They want all kinds of demands met before they agree to come back and teach in the dangerous depths of the classroom. It is far more dangerous for somebody to be a checkout clerk at Walmart than it is to be a classroom teacher. You understand that? Because you have all kinds of people coming through your line at a Walmart. I'm just picking Walmart. You can pick any store. You have all kinds of people, including those that are the most vulnerable at becoming infected, older people, people with other health conditions, that are going to be coming in contact with you. You're going to be exchanging money or credit cards or goods or whatever the case might be. You have far more chance of becoming infected, I believe, in one of those stores than you do in a classroom because children, teenagers, generally speaking, don't get it. And the idea that it's going to be contracted by teachers from students is nonsense because there are no cases of that on record where students are infecting teachers. So the, the, the idea that they should keep the schools closed is just flies in the face of all reason and common sense and in the, in the face of what the CDC has said. So that's number one. The other thing I talked to the doctor about that I just kind of teased before the break is this social program being uh, promised by uh, potentially President uh, Joe Biden. This this uh, program, which was championed by Barack Obama, essentially said this, that all of these suburbs, which are not lily white, you just heard Ben Carson lay waste to that argument, that the suburbs are lily white and they just don't want to have black people moving in. It's just ridiculous. He gave you the percentages of suburbs, particularly the largest uh, suburbs around the, surrounding the largest inner cities, and the percentages of minority populations are growing there. It's not about keeping uh, populations, or excuse me, neighborhoods segregated by demographics in the population, by race. It is a matter of keeping property values high, quality of life high. And the fact of the matter is that in most of these inner city areas where high density and smaller spaced housing, in other words, subsidized housing, in these areas... The, uh, the buildings are trashed. The buildings are trashed. The property is, is, is not taken care of because the individuals who are living in them don't own it. Now, it's no secret to say that, you know, this is why it's so important for landlords these days and why so many people are selling their properties, by the way, rather than being landlords, because when you rent to somebody that doesn't have a stake in the property, they don't care about it. If, the, if, hole, if there are holes in the wall, if um, you know, all kinds of damage is done, we, I could bring on landlord after landlord after landlord to give testimonials to this 
um, renters don't take care of their property quite as well as homeowners do because homeowners have a stake in it. Well, double, triple, quadruple that statement for people who are not even paying their own rent. People living in subsidized housing have no stake in the property, and they have no stake in keeping the property they're renting in good condition because they're not even paying the rent. And that's why you see trashed tenement-type buildings in so many of the inner cities. Now, Joe Biden wants to use this Obama-era scheme, social engineering scheme, to force those types of buildings in the middle of your neighborhood, your single-family dwelling with your little flower garden and your little front lawn is going to just be impacted because down on the corner they're going to put massive high-density, low-income, low-rent, subsidized housing project-type buildings in your neighborhood. All in the essence, or in, the, in, a, in an attempt to, quote, uh, um, uh, end discrimination. It is not about discrimination. Not at all. It is simply about respecting property and respecting property values and property rights. People who want to come in of any color, and I'm going to say this again. I said it at the end of the last segment. I'll say it at the end of this one. People who want to come in and move into a neighborhood that might be filled with people who don't look like them should never, and I repeat, never, ever be discriminated against from doing so. There should never be a consideration of someone's skin color or their sex or their sexual orientation in any uh, housing decision or in any sale. That should never be a factor. What should be a factor, though, is how properties are kept. And what Joe Biden is trying to do here in the name of ending discrimination has nothing to do with discrimination. It has everything to do with governmental control and an attempt to move liberal Democratic voters who, generally speaking, live in those inner-city, high-density housing that turn into tenements. Those individuals are Democrat voters. And the idea of putting Democrat voters in white districts, generally speaking, or more white-majority districts, is very, very uh, appealing to them. This is about politics, not about anti-discrimination. News time now. Jack Windsor next, AM 1420, The Answer.